This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is October 23rd, 2019. On this day in 1981, a serial killer dubbed the Monster of Florence murdered his fourth set of victims near Colenzano, Italy. Young lovers Stefano Baldi and Susanna Cambi thought they would spend a romantic evening parked near a vineyard. Instead, they were stabbed and shot to death before each other's eyes. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we tell a timely story from true crime history, then analyze the historical impact of that day's events. Today's episode is part of our series on Halloween, where we delve into the fascinating traditions behind the world's scariest holiday. If you enjoy this episode of Today in True Crime, be sure to check out the rest of the ParCast Presents Halloween feed on Spotify. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Jason Hoke, host of the upcoming podcast, Gangster House. It follows the story of Mike Thevis, a well-off Atlanta family man who led a shocking criminal double life in the underground porn industry. Hey everyone, thanks for having me, Vanessa. I can't wait for everyone to listen to Gangster House. If you love The Sopranos, The Godfather, or even The Deuce, You'll love this incredible true story of Mike Thebus, the son of Greek immigrants and family man who ran his empire in the most unlikely of places, Atlanta, Georgia. The first two episodes are out right now. Thanks for joining. Jason's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of the monster of Florence's murders of 26-year-old Stefano Baldi and 24-year-old Susanna Camby on October 23, 1981, while I'll cover the narrative. I'm thrilled to dive into the intriguing case of the Monster of Florence. The monster's kills were often spaced months apart, making it difficult for police to discern a pattern. After 17 years of activity, from 1968 to 1985, the Monster of Florence has still never been conclusively identified. Before we get into the search for the Monster of Florence, let's go back to a secluded Italian highway on October 23, 1981, just as the sun was setting. The evening was unseasonably warm, the air was fresh, and the world itself seemed to sing with the promise of possibility. What could be better than to be young and in love in Calanzano? 
Susanna had never felt like this before, and she never wanted to stop being so head over heels for Stefano. He had a steady job at a textile factory, a charming smile, and knew how to make Susanna feel like the most special woman in the world. That night had already been magical, with a home-cooked dinner at Stefano's apartment and then a movie. Giddy, Susanna agreed when Stefano suggested that she not go straight home. Instead, the pair climbed into his car and set off for a destination unknown. As Stefano's Volkswagen Golf sped down the freeway, Susanna rolled down a window and felt the air speed between her fingers. Tonight would be a good night. They soon arrived at a vineyard outside of Calenzano. The evening would be quiet. The car would be secluded. It was the sort of situation Susanna's mother always warned her about. Not to go off alone, not to put her reputation at risk, and especially not to leave the safety of the well-lit and crowded city. Susanna's mother was old-fashioned in that way. She always assumed that terrible things happened when good girls departed from traditional wisdom. Her warnings had only gotten worse in the past few months. In June, police had announced that a young couple was murdered in Scandici, right outside of Florence. Susanna's mother had begun frantically calling her after the news broke, warning her daughter of the new and additional dangers that stemmed from compromising situations. Susanna, in response, had fudged the truth about her own sexual activity. She'd assured her mother that she'd never, ever find herself alone in a remote area with a man she wasn't married to. It was a little white lie, but a lie nonetheless. Susanna wasn't going to live her life in fear, let her mother fret if that's what she was going to do, but those sorts of things wouldn't happen to Susanna. Nothing bad could ever happen so long as she was with Stefano. Stefano parked on a quiet, abandoned road in the vineyard. Susanna couldn't see another soul around. Even the lights of Calenzano were shrouded behind the leafy grapevines. Susanna smiled her best, most sultry smile and batted her eyelashes. Minutes later, Susanna was in Stefano's arms, delighting in the feel of his lips on her neck. She was so caught up in the moment, she failed to see the stranger approaching their car until the front door popped open. She didn't understand what was happening. Who'd opened the door and why? It didn't make any sense. She turned to glare at the intruder. That's when Susanna heard the gunshots. Minutes later, Susanna realized that her mother's warnings had been right. Bad things really could happen to women like her. Up next, police find Susanna and Stefano's bodies and continue their hunt for the serial killer known as the Monster of Florence. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
Now, back to the story. On October 23, 1981, Stefano Baldi and Susanna Camby parked in a secluded vineyard outside of Calenzano, Italy. There, while the pair got intimate in their car, a serial killer known only as the Monster of Florence shot the couple, then stabbed and mutilated their bodies after they were dead. Investigators thought they'd already found and arrested the killer months before, until October 24, 1981, the morning after the murder. That was when police found Stefano and Susanna's bodies after a passerby spotted their abandoned vehicle. They were the seventh and eighth victims of a serial killer who would come to be known as the Monster of Florence. As I mentioned earlier, today I'm joined by Jason Hoke, who's going to take over the historical analysis here. Thanks, Vanessa. For 17 years, from 1968 to 1985, the monster of Florence terrorized the people living around Florence, targeting couples who were together in secluded areas. The murders were sporadic, often occurring months apart. He mutilated the genitals of his female victims and rifled through their purses, but never stole anything. This led police to believe that his motives were sexual in nature. Because the monster of Florence always shot his victims, police were able to gather a wealth of ballistic evidence. A defect in his gun gave the discharged bullets identifiable imperfections. In spite of these identifiers, investigators struggled to come up with a lead. They eventually turned to non-traditional informants. The monster often preyed on young pairs having sex in remote areas. The police theorized that peeping toms may have witnessed something and collaborated with them to find a suspect. This unusual tactic led police to Enzo Spalletti, who, according to tips, delighted in spying on couples, as well as speaking about corpses. He was also a known voyeur. His car had been spotted near at least one crime scene, which was also a favorite makeout spot for local couples. Other than those rumors and coincidences, there was no evidence tying Spalletti to the murders but the police arrested him anyway. During questioning, Spalletti refused to cooperate, possibly because he was afraid of being arrested for prowling. But on October 23, 1981, he was in prison. The murders of Stefano and Susanna that night proved him innocent, and Spalletti was released soon afterward. But this latest murder provided police with even more clues. They found a size 11 footprint, believed to belong to the killer, near the parked car. Additionally, Susanna's mother reported to the police that she'd received a mysterious phone call on the morning of October 24th, after Susanna was killed, but before her body was discovered. The male caller claimed he had important information about Susanna, but the call cut off due to a technical glitch seconds later. Police tried to track information about the caller, but this and the other evidence they gathered led them nowhere. For years, the case of the Monster of Florence went unsolved, and young couples continued to die. The next major arrest was Francesco Vinci, who already had a history of violent crime. Police connected ballistic evidence from his criminal past with the monster of Florence's gun. However, he too was in prison when another murder occurred, and police were once more forced to release their suspect. A third suspect appeared in Pietro Pacciani. He had a long history of arrests related to sexual and domestic assault, and the police believed his psychological profile matched that of the monster of Florence. In questioning, they were able to persuade Pachani to confess that he had been present for some of the murders. 
although he maintained that he wasn't the monster of Florence. He was supposed to go on trial for the killings in the late 1990s, but died of a heart attack before he could ever face the charges. To this day, the monster of Florence has never been convicted. While some believe Pachani was the killer, numerous theories abound, suggesting that the monster may still be out there. For more information on the monster of Florence, check out the episodes of Unsolved Murders, which explore the case and offer several theories about who the real killer could be. Thanks again, Jason, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my new podcast, Gangster House, on Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskin, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Angela Jorgensen. Today's guest host was Jason Hoke. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 